0: The presenting sponsor of Sober Stories is Lyres Non-Alcoholic Spirits, a spirits company on a quest to replicate and replicate well, as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. With over 17 spirits, five pre-mixed cocktails, and one spectacular sparkling wine, all without alcohol, Lyres has become the Sober Stories team's standard for zero-proof drinks that feel festive and celebratory. Sober Stories is a mission-based company. You can find our company's core values right on our About page. And we are committed to partnering with other brands who put people and planet over profit too, which is why we love Liars. They have a sustainability and social responsibility mission at the forefront of their business with 100% recyclable packaging and a supply chain that reduces intercontinental freighting, a leading contributor to carbon emissions. They also outline their core values at Liars, which are mateship, awesomeness, the pay it forward principle and empowered independence. In our opinion, Liars' commitment to people and planet makes their sips that much sweeter. Head over to liars.com and use code Sober 1010. That's the number 10, the word 10, for 10% off your purchase. Liars gets you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the silver spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be chief story steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey there, Sober Stories family. Welcome back to another episode of our little storytelling show. We want to start things off today with a shout out to all the moms who listen to Sober Stories. You know how important motherhood has been in my own story of sobriety, and I see you. If you're one of our US listeners, happy Mother's Day. You deserve to be celebrated this weekend. And speaking of mamas, I've got a really exciting conversation for you today. I had the opportunity to interview Jenna Delulio, aka your sober bestie. Jenna is a first-time mom-to-be, a speaker, and a fashion and beauty blogger who shares an intimate look at her life in Recovery from alcohol use disorder. Jenna and I dug into some really great topics, especially the evolution of her relationship with her father, who has also struggled with alcohol. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Jenna and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, my friends. I am so excited to have my friend Jenna DeLulio here on the podcast. And we are just really glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us, Jenna.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, give our listeners kind of the high notes of you, the cliff notes, everything they need to know about where you are, what
1: you do, who you do life with. Um, I mean, for starters, you're pregnant. How are you feeling? I know. I'm pregnant. I feel great. Honestly, I feel – like it's like the weirdest thing because I've wanted to be pregnant for a, a while, and mm. you see pregnant women all the time. But then, like to go through it, it's such yeah. an experience because your body changes. I feel like so quickly, and I think that's been the biggest adjustment. But like, I haven't been nauseous. I have. I just feel really lucky with my pregnancy. Oh, so. Amazing. How many weeks yeah. are you? In- I am 23 weeks today. Oh,
0: man. Okay. So the second trimester is the best. It's like before you're so big that you are like bumping into walls, (laughs) but it's past the first trimester with all like the food aversions and the fatigue and all that. Second trimester is the best.
1: Yeah. It's been – like I said, my first trimester wasn't bad though. Like I Mm. feel – I feel so lucky. So yeah,
0: one of those people that's he just stated. meant to be pregnant. I love it. Well, oh talk us more
1: about <laughs> you
0: and your life, and we'll get into the alcohol part in a minute.
1: Yeah. So I am 36 years old. I live in Virginia with my husband. We're like we're both from two separate parts of the country. So I'm from like middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and my husband's from New York City. Mm. <laughs> so now we live in Virginia. We've been here for seven years now, okay. which is wild to mm. think about. Uh, we just bought a house, and yeah, I have been open about my sobriety online for like three and a half years now, I guess.
0: And tell us about your sobriety. How did that come to be? What's the story there?
1: Yeah, I, um, I mean, whenever I was in my early thirties, I could just tell, like, there was a version of me that I had. That I felt like I was living. Like I put, painted mm. this outside portrait that mm. I worked in corporate America and I ran half marathons and I was mm. this healthy person. I would do these, like complete these tasks that made me look a certain way that I felt, but I was not living that life at all. Mm. And I felt unhappy, like extremely mm. unhappy. And I grew up um the child of an alcoholic. My dad struggled mm-hmm. with alcoholism my whole entire life. But I was the one that I was always on my high horse, like pointing it my finger at everybody asking, yeah. like, you need to go get help. Like at everybody in my family. Like, you should go to mm-hmm. therapy. You should go to rehab. And I just when my parents came down, they would come down like once we moved to Virginia because I I thought Virginia and West Virginia, let me just explain this. I'm yeah, like I, they're the same to me, oh. in my One, <laughs> <laughs> I thought like moving to Virginia, like I'm like, they used to be one. Like Virginia mm. and West Virginia used to be one, but it's far, man. Like okay. it wasn't like just like a weekend trip I could go. It was like eight or nine hours for mm. me to see my oh, family. Wow. So yeah. it became like once a year they would come down for a week. And in 2016, they came down and they spent a week. And that whole week, my dad and I drank, like mm. got blackout drunk together. And I said horrible things to my mom. And Mm. this was after multiple what people would consider like rock bottom moments for myself. Mm. But I remember them leaving and me thinking like, holy crap, I I turned into this Mm. person I said I'd never become.
0: Mm.
1: And so that's what kickstarted me going to therapy. Mm. And in therapy, I had just... Such a, an amazing therapist, Belinda. Mm-hmm. And the first session, she just was like, How much how much alcohol do you drink? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I had never been honest. Like when yeah. I went to like my primary care physician, oh, you yeah. would ask, or my gynecologist. Like yeah. I would just be like, Yeah, I just like a, a couple of drinks a little and or Yeah, just some." <laughs> Do you smoke? Never. No. (laughs) And I was honest. I just was like, I drink like two to three bottles of wine, like three to four nights a week. And Mm. I remember her just being like, oh my gosh, like Mm. that's so much. Cause I'm only five foot two. And she's like, you're so short and small. And that was like the first time that I had to be like, shit, I just told Mm -hmm. like another (laughs) human being. Like yeah. what I actually do because it was mm. secretive. Even like my, my husband was my boyfriend at the time. And like I don't think he – He knew me throughout my whole addiction, but I don't think he knew how much it was affecting me or how much yeah. I was really drinking.
0: Well, if you talk about like being in corporate America, running half marathons, I feel like some of us
1: are good at hiding it. So good. Like I made – But I didn't look like now when I look back – at pictures of myself during that time, like I was so swollen. I mm. was so, I looked so unhealthy, but if you, if you just knew me and you just, mm-hmm. that's who you knew me as you would never think my therapist was like, after I got sober, she was like, like when you first came in, I noticed how swollen mm. you were and how like red mm. your face was. And those are like telltale Signs yeah. typically, and but if that's just what people knew you as, yeah. As so many people, when I got sober, were like, "Oh my, I never would have known you had a problem," or "I never would have known that you like were struggling at all." And but I think that's a part of the reason why I wanted to be open was to mm-hmm. break that stigma because people have this like vision of what an alcoholic looks like. Yeah. And it's not a 32-year-old that is successful in corporate America that right. is holding a job and that has like a relationship and mm-hmm. that, that's not what people think of. And so that's why it was important for me too to be like, this is what it could look like. Mm-hmm. Like someone that you would never think but yeah after that it was a lot of relapsing, a lot of trying Mm -hmm. and then going back to drinking and i describe it as like with my father you know Mm -hmm. i believe my dad and i have such a good relationship now and i truly believe that he did the best that he could with the information that he had i mean you look back First of all, Mm -hmm. we lived in West Virginia through the eighties and nineties. Like there wasn't a ton of resources like there is now, like we've got podcasts, we've got like accounts you can follow for inspiration on social media. You Mm. can read books, you can get a coach. Like there's so many other resources and it's, it's not as like shunned as it was back then either. Like, we're living through this time where it's cool to (laughs) better yourself. Right. (laughs) Like like it's, it's a cool thing. If you're like, Hey, I see this like deficiency here. I could do better. I'm going to try. And then you use your story to inspire others where my dad, my mom, they didn't have that. They, Oh, my dad only had alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I grew up watching someone only have alcohol and then mm. I only had alcohol.
0: Mm. So
1: I would, that's the only tool I had to reach in my toolbox when yeah. I wrecked my truck and I like almost killed myself and somebody else mm. I was drinking and driving. Like the irony was to cope through that. I drank yeah. mm. like, and as I went through therapy, I learned new coping mechanisms. And so it wasn't just this light switch that I was like, oh, I have alcoholism. i got, I'm gonna got to stop this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a slow progression where I went to therapy. I developed new skills. I'd go to therapy. I would slip up and drink. And so mm-hmm. it took months and months. But it was like, finally, alcohol didn't look as shiny and mm-hmm. fun anymore. And on November 4th, 2017, I just, I woke up with a hangover and I thought, I'm Mm. really going to give it a go this time. Mm. And I had my husband, my mom, and my best friend hold me accountable to Mm. that goal. Because I knew before I had tried so many times to do it by myself and that wasn't working. And so, yeah, I made it like... A week and we celebrated, made it a month and we celebrated and now this November will be five
0: Amazing. years, which is
1: crazy. Congratulations. <laughs> you and yes. I have
0: um very close sober dates, mine's September twenty ninth, twenty seventeen. Oh, okay. And but you talk about your dad Not having all the resources we have now, but even you and I didn't have all the resources we have now. In 2017, it was still this budding narrative of Uh all of these different ways to do this, and that it was actually a cool choice to make. And that, you know, I've I've got a a gal coming on the podcast in a couple weeks. She's 23, and like, like TikTok famous because she talks about sober curiosity, and I'm like. If this had been the conversation that was being had when we were 23, can you even imagine? It would be so different. So different. But tell me about what the conversation with your husband and your mom and your family when you – finally said, "Hey, this is something I need help with. I need accountability." What was that conversation like?
1: It was open and honest, which was that was something that I picked up in therapy, too. A lot of what I would do was like stonewalling and just harboring yeah. emotions. And so that is something that I still that I still work on is like mm-hmm. being open and honest about how I'm feeling and what I need. And I I feel like with my mom, it was the most emotional because I think, you know, she held a lot of guilt Mm. for, you know, feeling like she was a part of the reason Mm. that I was addicted, but she was willing to do it. She was like, yeah, Mm. I will. I will 100% hold you accountable. I asked them each. I said, if I call you for my mom and my best friend, because they're not local, or I like My husband, if I say like, I want to drink, I need you to tell me no, because if you give in, Mm. then I'm going to give in. And Mm -hmm. it was weird because before I wanted that accountability, if I did want to drink, I would say, I would have like this elaborate excuse of like, why? Mm. Like I had a really tough week at work. Corporate sales is like tough. Brutal. It's very stressful. and. I would use that so much. I'd be like, I have a rough week. I just want to, I just want to get mine. And like, no one would say no to me because mm. they knew I would argue or I would yeah. say, you know, something about it. But when I asked for it, it not only like gave them permission to hold me mm. accountable, but it made me more accountable because I not oh. only like didn't want to let myself down, but I knew I didn't want to let them down either. Yeah. And then, like you add on when we when we look at social media, right? And mm-hmm. we're like open oh, about our sobriety there. And that's like a whole, oh yeah, like other level of accountability that you have.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like not even an, <laughs> ever an option for <laughs> yeah.
1: me. I'm not <laughs>
0: tempted, but like, I a really hilarious story. I was at a bachelorette party a while ago, and we were all out at dinner, and one gal forgot her ID, and they were going around and the, the waiter was checking IDs, which is funny because we're in our 30s. But the waiter mm-hmm. was checking IDs and she didn't have her ID. And I was like – just I texted her under the table. I was like, just tell me what you want and I'll order it for you because I had mm-hmm. my ID. But the rest of the group didn't know about that yeah. conversation that she and I were having over text. And they watched me order a glass of wine. And across the table, they like were like clutching the table like – are we watching her fall oh. off the wagon in real time? And like me and this other gal were just – because it's it's. I don't recommend doing that if you are in yeah. early days, but like for me it's no big deal. But yeah. like there's just no option in which I could ever drink again, thankfully, because yeah. of the way I talk about this. But I like what you said about the honesty and mm-hmm. – it's really interesting. I think a lot of the time we we want the people in our lives to show up how we need them to,
1: mm-hmm. but they
0: don't have all the information. So mm-hmm. if we're like saying, like, I want to drink, and they don't know that we need them to say no, and we need them to be like, No, Jenna, we're not gonna do that. No, Beth, we're not gonna do that. If we haven't like given them that radical honesty to say, like, I need this, we mm-hmm. can't expect the people in our lives to be mind readers. We can't expect them to just know and inherently what we need them to do for the support. So I think that's a really interesting piece. And it's scary to be able to step into that space to be able to say, I need this. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you when you were saying like, I need this? Was there, what was the internal dialogue in your head there?
1: I think, I mean, I chose, I chose those three people for a reason, but I like 100% was terrified Mm. because I knew there wasn't like a going back after that. Like there, that was it. And before I could easily Mm. just be like, yeah, like to myself, right. Cause we will like, we will totally let ourselves down before we let other people down. I feel like we will break promises to ourselves and my internal dialogue with just myself was like, "All right, this weekend, like, we're gonna do it. We're gonna." Mm. And then a friend would call and be like, "Well, we're going to the winery this weekend. Do you want to come?" I'd be like, "Okay, well, next weekend, yeah. like, I'll really be, I'll really try it then next weekend." Where when you have not just one but three different people holding you accountable, you're like, "That's it. Like, I can't." Mm. I can't like use these bullshit excuses anymore that I've used in the past.
0: Well, I think that's exactly it. It's like we just continuously break promises to ourselves. And Mm -hmm. as soon as it's out there, as soon as somebody else knows that, hey, this is – this thought process that's happening in my brain. These are the, the the experiences I'm having. And like, it becomes really real. And, you know, that can mm-hmm. be really scary for people. But I hear that in a lot of stories as being the moment when things change. And I think it's really interesting when you talk about having had experiences that objectively, like somebody might say, oh, that was your rock bottom, like crashing your truck mm. or, uh, you know, having these experiences, but it was the weekend with your dad. And saying Mm -hmm. the things to your mom that was your rock bottom or or the change Mm -hmm. agent to finally say, like, this is it, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that's a really important piece to point out to people because it doesn't have to look one way. And we can have these mm-hmm. other signs in our lives that are really big red flags. And those mm-hmm. aren't the ones that are the change agents. It's the ones that like really hurt our heart and hurt our spirit yeah. and hurt like these interpersonal relationships. You mentioned you know, growing up as a child of an alcoholic. And how did that inform your experience both before and after you quit drinking?
1: Well, I think before the, the irony is, is like, I would say like, I hate my dad. Like I would say like, I hate you throughout my whole life because he had no control. I vividly remember him like watching him experience regret and remorse Mm. for situations, but he kept repeating it. And because I didn't understand addiction at the time, like, I'm like, you don't, I you don't love your family. You Mm. how can you just not stop? Like just quit. Why do you Mm. this happens like every week? We have to do this. Mm. And I was the oldest, so I was like the protector. Like I was like protecting my mom. I was protecting my brother. And when I was in high school, I would never even like have considered drinking, which is Mm. wild to a lot of people because they're like, you didn't even I wouldn't even try like drinking Mm. or going to a party or I didn't start drinking until I got into college. And that's the first time I drank, I blacked out. Like the very first time I drank, I got completely drunk. And I think like if I said, looking back at seeing my dad, my whole life, if you take into account that not only is alcoholism genetic, Mm. but I had... The example of my father, and you know what I saw was, well, you I saw him celebrate with alcohol. If you're stressed, if you're mad, if you're angry, like you 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 can use alcohol as this kind of like excuse. This is why I'm drinking. You made me drink. I I've heard things like this my whole life. Michelle, uh, recovery is a new black, she like hits the nail on the head. She talks about this a lot for parents, my dad would always make me get his beer for him. Mm. He would always be like, go to the fridge and get another beer, go get another beer, go get another beer. And it, it just always like, it hits me like in my heart when I read those things, because that's what I did my whole life. But it's hard looking in that mirror, man. Like Mm. when it's you and when I, when I like look into my twenties. It was probably pretty. Ho- it would have been pretty hard to diagnose or see because again, we grew up in that time where yeah. I like was listening to like my old Apple Music the other day, and isn't that so funny when you like find like an old iPad or something <laughs> oh <my laughs>
0: or God. iPod?
1: Not even an iPad. Like- <laughs> the LMFAO shots. Oh so like, I'm like, these are like, this was like the the music that we like grew yeah. up. It was like fed to us. Yeah. And mm-hmm. everybody was binge drinking on college. Every, so it would have been yeah. hard to even like see, but once it's, it was like a slow pro- progression where it was like fun to where like, it just started to not be fun. Yeah. And I would get into trouble. I would get other people into trouble hurt myself, hurt other people, but I still would, there's even when I wrecked my truck, like I Mm. could not add, I had other people telling me like, you should really look at your drinking. Maybe you should go get help. And I was like, no, like this was just like an accident. It wasn't like, I blamed the, I blamed the people that I worked with because Mm. I was actually with coworkers at the time, which was terrible. I blamed everybody but myself for that car accident. And until I got to really see it, like I got to see the adult version of myself next to my father and how we were identical, it Mm. scared the shit out of me. Mm. And I think it was the catalyst for what made me be so honest in therapy because Hmm. I knew I didn't want to pass this torch to somebody else. Like I knew I didn't want to be like what my dad was for me Hmm. for my children. And so that was a motivating factor as well. And then it's wild because that was like two years after I got sober For my dad's birthday, I just, I wrote him a a letter and I read it to him in the backyard. Mm. And I just said like, I, if I can do this, I know you can. And it's like, life is just amazing sober. Like Mm. it's so great. And I told him that I forgave him. And then he like, he started his own journey, which is crazy. crazy. God,
0: that like, uh, that gets me. That's really, really powerful.
1: Yeah. It was. It was like, I I never, the crazy thing is, is I never, I never would have thought, and it wasn't me. My whole life I spent forcing, you know, thinking I could control him into doing something. Thinking I could, you know, if I leave, if I threaten not to come home, if I, yeah. if I make all of these uh, threats to him, then he'll do something. But it took me leading by example, I feel mm. like, and showing love. like mm. Those were the two things that really, I think, helped versus me getting angry mm. and yelling yeah. and, and not being compassionate.
0: Hey, Sober Stories crew, Beth here. While I moonlight as chief story steward here at Sober Stories, my main gig is actually using my therapy training, my decade in the mental health field, and my four and a half years of sobriety to teach other women how to change their relationship with alcohol. I just opened up an enrollment for my signature program, The Booze Breakup, built for the woman ready to ditch the nightly bottle of wine and build a sustainable whole person life without alcohol. It's a self-study program that comes with two months of access to my private community and group support calls, and I would love to connect with you over in that space. Use code Stories for $50 off the program at theboosbreakup.com. Rooting for you always, my friend. Here at Sober Stories, one of our core values is Celebration. And one of my all-time favorite companies in the entire alcohol-free space, Raising the Bar, helps us do just that. Raising the Bar curates zero-proof cocktail kits with a focus on seasonal flavors, incredible taste, and beautiful presentation. Their kits include everything you need to create craft cocktails delivered to your door monthly, bringing joy and celebration to your choice not to drink. Use code Stories 15 for $15 off a three-month or longer subscription at weareraisingthebar.com. People ask me a lot what they can do for somebody in their life who is struggling with alcohol and how they can make them see or change or do something different. And usually my answer is like, there's really not a lot you can do except Mm -mm. to love them like really hard, have your Mm -hmm. own boundaries, create your own safety that you need to, but like love them really hard and reduce their, their stress load if we think about tools and capacity and all this like make their life a little bit easier so that they have space to make this change mm-hmm. but I know for me like if my mom my mom has told me since I quit drinking that she was really close to telling me that she thought I needed to quit drinking mm-hmm. and I'm like thank god you didn't because I know how I would have acted and I know how I would have reacted and it would have yeah. like, I would have burned it to the ground And and mm-hmm. and that's my experience but I see it over and over again it's like you can't force people to make this change, Mm -mm. but you can love them through it and Mm -hmm. give them the capacity to be able to eventually make it stick. And I really like what you said about like in therapy, you were learning tools, and you were learning mm-hmm. different ways of living and coping that eventually gave you the ability to make this stick long-term. And I think that's really important because it's it's very rare that I can see a person just decide and then they're sober. Yeah. There's such a big gulf between who we are when we are using alcohol as a coping mechanism and then who we are as a person who has a sustainable version of sobriety. And mm-hmm. there's a lot in between there that is skill building and resilience building and reducing your stress load and all of these different mm-hmm. things that contribute cumulatively to the ability to be alcohol-free long-term. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really powerful. I hear you using different kinds of language. What do you identify with as far as your own version of sobriety?
1: For me, and I think like everybody's so different. I think for a lot of people, it's hard to say I'm an alcoholic. It's so hard for me, like for a while now, I personally, I like identifying as an alcoholic because I feel like it breaks that stigma down more. Like if I can meet someone and then they ask Mm. me why I'm not drinking. And I say, oh, because I'm an alcoholic and I use it loosely. It might be a shock to them at first, Mm. but then they, it kind of was like, I never would have even known that about her. Like I never would have known. And it takes this more of the sting away. And so Mm. it's kind of like, that's what I feel the most comfortable and confident with. But I know a Mm. lot of people just say, they're alcohol-free or there's like – there's a lot of different terms that people use now. Sober curious. And-
0: but that's why I ask because you seem really confident using that and it feels – it seems natural for you to say that and I think that that's really powerful when we can say something that feels good and feels natural for us and gives other people the – the right identifier for us to be able to feel really good in our own version of sobriety. And I and I think it's really powerful about this idea of breaking down the stigma because we think uh-huh. of an alcoholic as this gristled old 65-year-old man with a brown bag yeah. and a fifth of whiskey. But mm-hmm. really, alcohol use disorder in whatever iteration you want to call it happens to so many people and so many different kinds so- of people. And, and really, no one's immune from it. Like, Uh -uh. You and I don't particularly look like the kind of people who would drink a bottle of wine every night and have an Mm -hmm. addiction to alcohol, and yet here we are. And the more more visibility we can give to different kinds of people on different kinds of paths – the more doors we open for other people to realize, oh, this might be something that I need to look at. Or if if she does it that way, if if Jenna's doing this, like maybe I can do this too. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was digging into the archives of, of your social media, and I saw you mm-hmm. talking about your story <laughs> and how you used to Google, is it okay to drink a bottle of wine a day? Yeah. And you would <laughs> find websites that would confirm that, that it is fine. That oh, it's yeah. Like, hey, how did you navigate... I, I love the Google. I'm always like, what was the first thing you Googled? Because all of us have Googled something. All of us Googled something yeah. to get where we are now. So how did you navigate that dissonance between like you were seeking this information actively, but yet you were being met with things that confirmed your actions? Like how did you get past that?
1: Well, I think for me, it was, it was definitely one of the first things that I Googled was, can I drink a bottle of wine or can you drink two bottles of wine? Like, is it bad to drink two bottles of wine a night? After I admitted to my therapist, it was like a way for me to be like, okay, well, Belinda says that yeah. it's bad, but, I, but look at the look at these twenty five women on Reddit, they're saying right. it's okay, right? Or the American so- Heart
0: Association says it like gives me better heart health.
1: it it, totally like if you look there's so many there's so many things if you are looking for a reason to validate your drinking Mm -hmm. like first of all i would look further into it i would i would really start to dig more into why you're trying to validate it but you'll find it you'll find Mm -hmm. a handful Mm -hmm. of people that will be like sure drink two bottles of wine a night like it's not a big deal
0: well i I think that Exactly what you said of this idea of like if you're looking for it, you're gonna find it. But I think the looking for it, that's a sign. I'm I the yeah. first time I ever googled. Well, of course I googled the like, am I an alcoholic? Am I drinking too much? All of that stuff. But I came to sobriety by googling yoga to quit drinking because I was like, those yoga people, they look like they've got their shit together. They They know, what's, me. Going on. They know what's going on. <laughs> but you know, I'm like. If you're googling this stuff, if you're looking at this stuff on Google and you're looking for answers, you already know the answer. You already mm-hmm. know that a bottle of wine every night is not, even if it's not medically healthy, like it's not working for you. It's not working no. for you. Something about it is harming your spirit. It is impacting your life, and and I think that that's a really, I, I just like got a kick of that, like. Is drinking a bottle of wine a night okay? And it's like objectively no, but the internet will tell you that it is okay. But you know, I think it's really important to combat some of that. People will send me articles all the time of like, here's another article saying that wine is good for heart health, wine is good for your longevity, like all of this stuff. And and it's really interesting because when you look into like where those sources are coming from, a lot of them mm-hmm. are funded by alcohol companies, like the studies oh, yeah. themselves are founded, funded by alcohol companies. But, you know people like you are out there saying like, here's the opposite. Here's the other side to this. Here's the real information. And here's, you know, how we can really dig into what the truth is. And, and you know, I think there are a lot of powers that be that are creating yeah. this information system and creating this experience where we can find the information we want. So it's so yeah. important to be able to to send like this other message of like, and, Here's the other side of it. And here's what addiction can look like. And here's what sobriety can look like. And I think that mm-hmm. the the modeling of that is is really, really powerful. You talked about getting
1: sober with the help of therapy. Do you <gasps> still go to therapy? Yes. I go to mm. therapy. Like it's weird. Like I'll have like moments where I feel like I need like a tweak. Or I know if I am feeling like pregnancy is wild because mm. Your hormones are like everywhere. And yes, I just cry totally. over like literally my husband left to go see his friend for one night. And like as soon as he pulled out, I I like I had to call him. I was like, I don't know why I'm like sitting in bed just like, oh. stopping. Like I'm like, <laughs> are you happy? Yeah, are you gonna love
0: me? But like, He's like I'm trying to have a night with my friends, excuse me.
1: <laughs> but like I, when I feel like, okay, this is something like, I'll give an example. So, um, recently I went back to therapy. It was right before I got pregnant, actually, just because I was feeling super anxious and I had like, I felt no reason, you know, I, hmm. you, again, you're like, you like, I feel like I look at my life and I have everything to be thankful for. And When I was feeling like super off, I was like, there's something else that like I could dig into and that I could work on. And Mm. what we found was um, I was focusing on cognitive distortions, which Mm. like was so mind blowing for me to learn a lot about. So can you explain that? Like I aren't familiar. Yeah. So cognitive distortions, there was a couple that I was really like, if you look, I think there's 12 ish altogether. There might even be more. I feel like for different models, they have like different ones, but one of the ones that I was really focused on was like fortune telling. So Hmm. I would be like, you know, we had something coming up, like an event or we were traveling and I would be thinking about a, like a worst case scenario Hmm. thing that would happen because of it. Like I would say like, Oh, you know, we're going to go here. We're going to see this person. And you know, they're not going to like that I, I'm totally making this up, but they're yeah. they're not gonna like that I don't drink and so they're gonna judge me because of it and I'm mm-hmm. gonna feel anxious. And it was really messing with me. So now I am be am aware of those and mm-hmm. I'm able to work through them and I'm not like there's a whole cycle that you go through mm-hmm. <laughs> with these. So identification is like a way to just stop it right in its yeah. tracks, and you're able to not like complete the cycle. But mm. cognitive distortions mm. totally look them up.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll Google that later. You know, I asked because uh, it's funny people will people that I work with. I, I work with women who are changing their relationship with alcohol, or who have already removed alcohol from their life and are trying to make this feel good. But they're like, I really thought that I would quit drinking and then all my problems would go away. (laughs) And you're like, nope. (laughs) You are just experiencing a deeply human experience without taking the edge off, without numbing out, without using a substance to cope. And now you got to do the work of- learning how to be a human in the world. And, oh and gosh, therapy yeah. is one of my personal favorites. I'm I'm the same. I'll like dip in and out depending on what's going on in life. But mm-hmm. when people are like, wait, you're four and a half years sober, you teach other people how to do this and you still go to therapy? I'm like, yeah, man, that's yeah. that's the life. And, and I find it to be such a rich experience to be able to fill this so fully, to be able to feel this as difficult and as challenging as it can be without Mm -hmm. numbing out. Because the thing is, is like I don't numb out the good stuff either. I don't numb out the joy and the celebration. Mm -hmm. And like like I think about sober weddings are my favorite thing in the whole world because Mm -hmm. what a gift to be able to witness this – like, the one of the biggest days in so many people's lives, and it's usually people we yeah. love and we care about. Like, what a gift to be able to witness that fully without numbing it out. And I used to, though. I used to be like, oh, there's no bar. Why am I even going? Like, what's there, the point yeah, of going I'm to this
1: life? like, like <laughs> not an open bar. What? Yeah.
0: Like, what? Or, yeah. Or, like, if it was, like, even a good friend, if they were, like, getting married and be like, oh, there's no bar or I have to pay for my drinks. Like, this sucks. But now it's, like <laughs> – how wild is that, that I was using a substance to really blunt this really big experience that is such a gift to be able to witness? So much so, joy. And- so much joy. And so for me, it's like, yeah, it's hard and you still have to do the work, but that also means that you get to reap
1: like some of the most beautiful experiences from it too you you appreciate the highs more in your life like those joyous moments because you are feeling everything and so Mm -hmm. like when you go through the peaks and valleys and you're at a peak you're like oh my god. It's like yeah. you feel everything and it's so
0: great. Tell me about one of those peaks in your life. What has been a really joyful experience that you've had in
1: sobriety? What's crazy is when you were talking about that, my my biggest fear, and you know, I told you I would be like, Well, next weekend I'll mm-hmm. I'll really stick to it next weekend or oh after my birthday, I'll get sober. And my biggest hang up hands down that I would me and Belinda would go in circles with in therapy <laughs> sessions. I feel but like I know I, Belinda now. <laughs> she's amazing. I like Shout out to Belinda. Shout out. Hey, Belinda, I love you. Um, I couldn't wrap my mind around getting married and not, mm-hmm. not drinking. Like I could not fathom it. Like even though – I was not having really any fun during this time because it was like in really like the peak of my addiction. I could, I, we would, I would lament over it. We would go back Mm. and forth and I'd be like, I can't imagine getting married and not having a glass of champagne. Like I'm, Mm. I wouldn't be able to have a glass of champagne. And she's like, no. I'm like, there's, Mm. I can't do it. Mm. And in October of 2020, my husband and I got married and it was absolutely amazing. Like mm. I would I would just think like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to miss out on so much fun without alcohol." And like the irony is you have so much more mm. fun. And it was just beautiful because it was just small because we were in the pandemic. So it was just yeah. us and then um, our parents and my grandmother and my mm. brother was there and you know my my husband still drinks he still like has mm-hmm. fun so did his parents and then like so it was like his him and his parents and they had like the best time and then me and my parents and my mm-hmm. grandma like my brother like none of us drank and we still had like such a good time Damn. and that night we stayed in like a farmhouse mm-hmm. in like the middle of nowhere west virginia And I like talked to my parents in bed. And I remember my dad was, I was just like, can you believe it? Can you believe like we, I got married, we had this like Mm. such a fun time without alcohol. And he's like, my dad's like a man of few words. Like he doesn't Mm -hmm. say much, but he was like, thank you so much. Like this was such Mm. like a fun night. And that was like the most joyous moment for me because I can look mm-hmm. back on those pictures and I remember every single moment. Mm-hmm. Like I was present the whole entire time and you can just see the joy like on my face, how happy I was the whole day.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one, man. Every time you talk about your dad, I'm like, okay, I love Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Delillo, <laughs> Delulio's dad. I have a little soft spot right here. I love it. Well, Jenna, last question that I always ask before we wrap up this podcast is if the story of you and alcohol and your sobriety were to be published, what would it be titled and what
1: kind of story would it be? Um, I think it would be titled um, The Generational Curse Breaker mm. because I think I – not meaning to like was able to. And I know I, I know I can't prevent everything from happening Mm. to my child. And I know, um, there's a lot that's out of my control, but I know I did everything within my control to not give them the upbringing that I had. And not only that, Mm. like, I was able to be a good example and they're going to have like such a great grandfather now too. And like, I think that would be my my story. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good
0: one. You know, I think that uh, that's really, really important for so many parents out there to hear right now, because I think that they there can be this sense of guilt and this sense of fear of what if my kid mm-hmm. has the same challenges. And what I tell people in that experience is well, thank God they have you to model the other side of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank God they are growing up in a different experience than you did, or a different experience than they would if you hadn't gotten sober.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: yes, genetics are genetics. And yes, we know that addiction is something that people are more sensitive to if there are family histories. But nature versus nurture, like modeling behavior in the the Mm. environment in which you grow up in and and the conversations you have around alcohol and and Mm. being a person who doesn't drink, all of that matters too. So mm-hmm. that is – that's that's a hell of a title. I look forward to <sighs> reading that that book. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Jenna. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing yes. your story with us. Tell us how we can connect with you, what you have going on in your world. Tell us about that shirt that you're wearing that I already commented yes. on, how much I love it. How <laughs> can our listeners get connected with you?
1: So I am on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. And it's Jenna DeLuLio. So mm-hmm. I know we had <laughs> – (laughs) It's such a hard last name. But you can look up your your sober bestie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your sober bestie. Okay. Search your sober bestie and we'll also spell it in the show notes because I'm sure I have butchered it about seven times too.
1: (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I right now am really... Focusing on my business, I'm writing my first ebook right now. Amazing! So I'm so excited about that. Yeah, and this is my my merch that I have that I designed. There's a bunch of different colors, and it's pretty neutral. But I just wanted I love something it. Plain. I'm a I neutral kind of gal. Out.
0: Obviously, if you watch our YouTube yeah. channel, I'm probably wearing this sweater in every single <laughs> one of them. Um, but for those who are not watching our YouTube channel, Jenna has a great shirt that says alcohol less and like really cool yeah. typography. So I've already like added to Kurt. It's on it's- my radar. It's in her merch <laughs> store. It's
1: really it's- cool. Yeah, it's on my Instagram. Well, and in- you can go to jennadolilio.com. But I played, it's like a playoff award. So I don't know if you know, Scott Disick has a brand called Talentless.
0: Oh, and don't. yeah, i like this kind of whole illiterate. Line.
1: <laughs> I love it. So I loved just the simplicity of it because he just had all like he just has T shirts and hoodies mm-hmm. and they're super plain and basic. And I was like, it would be cool to do like a play on words with that and yeah. be an alcoholist. So well, I still like
0: I'm the t totally shirt anyway, even though my pop culture <laughs> knowledge is lacking. I think it's a great t shirt either way. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for your story. I know oh, that there please. are so many people who need to hear this and and hear you share both your story and your dad's story and the words that you use that feel really good and powerful for you. And I just will be on on baby watch. Got a couple, couple more months for you and looking forward to oh, that cute little baby. Honey.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be on here. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Jenna DeLulio. And the story Jenna shared about her dad really moved me. They know we're not all so lucky to have loved ones in our lives who have changed their own alcohol use as a result of seeing us do what we do, but it's a really powerful story of change that really stuck with me. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha uh-huh moment from today's show we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media you can find us at we are sober stories on most platforms tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you i also want to thank our team here at sober stories alexis archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side callie williams is our community engagement lead Daniela marty for our graphic design and every single person who has a hand in what we are building until next week my friends